Well, good morning. Uh, we're back in James, as Graham said. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's still plenty at the back if you want a visitor's Bible. Uh, notice on the inside, page four, it says it's page 1012 in the visitor's Bible. And then on the back, we have the outline of the sermon. We are this morning moving into chapter three, and we're looking at the whole chapter. So before we begin, why don't we pray and ask for God's help? Father, uh, just to echo Graham's prayers, we're so thankful that we get to spend this time hearing you speak. Father, I pray that my voice would not get in the way of yours this morning. pray that we would all receive uh, your words and you would open our ears to hear it and you would soften our hearts to receive um, the warning, but also the encouragement as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from chapter 3 then, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above 
is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God's people, we are kingdom workers, and with the Spirit of Christ, we work together to sow the seeds for a harvest of righteousness. I actually think chapter 3, verse 18 is my favorite verse in the letter. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. One day we will gaze upon all our hard work and see the fruit of our labors. As we move beyond this life to the new creation, we may very well see golden fields that are ready for harvest, but what we look forward to are the joyful faces of fellow saints, brothers and sisters, as we stand together in glory after a life of accepting and following God's word. Because it's not the seeds that we use to sow a harvest of wheat, we use words to grow people of righteousness. God's people are speakers of words, God's words, to lead and grow people in truth. Dumbledore once said of words, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Because of the power of words, James gives a warning to the people he's writing to. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Chapter 3 is a warning about words. And as you can see in verse 2, the warning is for the people who are using the words. And the one thing all people have in common is that none of us are without sin. And the big message today is about being careful that the sin inside of us is not coming out in the words we say. So the first thing for us to do is remind ourselves of this power of the tongue, of, of speaking words. So our first point, the tongue is a small tool used for big things. The tongue is a small but powerful tool that we use as we sow the soil for the harvest of righteousness. This powerful tool through speaking words, it guides, it produces amazing things. We can't wait for Mia to start speaking. Speaking is a wonderful blessing. It's how we end up marrying our loved ones. It's how we comfort and counsel the hurt and the lost. It's how we confess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how we praise him as we sing. But at the same time, words can be dangerous because of this great power. That's why this tool of the tongue comes with a warning. So let's go through three groups of illustrations James uses to make this point. The first one, the tongue is something that guides from verse 2 to 4. In verse 2, he makes a connection between the control of the tongue and the control of the body. This is like verse 3 in horse riding. They use these little devices called bits that goes into the mouth of a horse, so you connect it to the reins, and uh, with this little thing, you're able to control a whole horse's body. 
Or, says James in verse 4, it's like a rudder on the back of a boat. With just a single small rudder, you can steer a huge ship in a stormy sea. The tongue is very small, but we must never forget the massive influence that words have. How we handle words will inevitably steer and direct, not just the lives of others, but our own as well. Secondly, the tongue is something that is powerful, verse 5b to 8. Like a small flame can quickly lead to a forest fire, completely out of control, burning and destroying everything as it spreads. So is the tongue like a small flame. But verse 6, if used for evil, can spread and corrupt both the individual and other people. The tongue is like a wild beast, like a lion that's escaped from Edinburgh Zoo, prowling round Stockbridge Market. But verse 8, the tongue is far more dangerous and even more wild. No one has ever tamed the tongue. By its nature, it is always wanting to do evil and spread poison. The tongue is powerful, and that's why we use it in our kingdom work. But if we forget about such power and how easily it can be misused, we may inflict great harm and evil. And we see this unpacked a bit more in the third group of illustration. The tongue is something that produces different things. Verse 9 to 12. The tongue produces words of blessings for our God. One minute, verse 9. But the same tongue will then be used, verse 10, to curse people to be abusive by shouting at your partner, your children, people in their cars, people at church, all kinds of ungodly ways of of using words. James says it shouldn't be this way. If the spirit of Christ dwells in you, then surely what should come out are words like Christ would speak. If we are not divided in any way, divided in faith and works like we saw saw last week, or words and works this week, we will not be constantly producing different things like blessings one minute and curses the next. A fig tree cannot also produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs, nor a salt pond produce fresh water. Those who have received the goodness of God should not so easily allow evil to pour out from them. Now, I don't want people to go away from this today absolutely terrified to speak to anyone. The tongue is not a chainsaw and, and, you know, and unmanageable to those who have the strength to wield it. There is encouragement here, but we should take seriously the warning, a warning to be discerning and rightly cautious. When I read chapter 3, verse uh, 1, as someone who's training to be a, a Bible teacher, it is alarming especially the bit, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But this is not just for me or for preachers. I would love to think that most of us here today, in some way, are Bible teachers. It's not just preaching from the pulpit how we sow the seeds of a righteous harvest. I would hope we are all speakers of God's word to the people around us. And if you're not, then what a great time to start thinking about becoming one because James will set you off with the good wisdom of how not to go wrong. Now, I suppose you might ask, why are those who speak God's word judged with greater strictness? Is this not just more 
pressured to an already pressured situation? Well, I think it's because those who speak God's truth are wielding this powerful thing, and that can lead and influence not just an individual, but whole groups of of people, whole nations, sometimes the majority of the world, an entire generation. It can be positively life-transforming or extremely dangerous for good or evil. If we forget that words are connected to works, there is a danger of great harm to be done to the body of Christ, the church, and great harm to be done to our own spiritual condition. The tongue is small, but used for big things. So our second point then, the tongue is a great tool used in the right way. As I said, this tool comes with a warning. This tool is not a toy. Uh, When I was a child, um, I got hold of a small knife and I accidentally cut through my tendon. You can actually still see the scar. Um, And I needed to have surgery. Now, a knife can be very, very helpful. It's a great tool. But to misuse it, there will be big consequences. And the same goes with the tongue. We need to think about using it in the right way. With great power comes great responsibility, you might say. And that's not originally from Spider-Man. What we will see in the second part of chapter 3 is that for a great tool, great wisdom is required. The right way to use the tongue is not just about saying the right things. It's best used with a wisdom that that holds together our whole life and being. The thing is, this is exactly the big problem with the people James is writing to. Their self, their being, has been divided into two. Remember last week I mentioned the Chinese proverb of trying to stand in two boats? Trying to live with one foot in the caring about God boat and then one in the uncaring about God boat. It just divides a person in two to be, as James says, double-minded. This week is a division of words and works. But it's not the first time in the letter where James has exposed this division in the lives of these Christians between words and character. Just turn back to chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the righteousness of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then verse 26 If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James wants God's people working by faith, speaking God's word for a harvest of righteousness. But if they work without wisdom, they will produce no righteousness. Their religion is worthless. James says to the people he's writing to, Not many of you should become teachers because, verse 13, who is wise and understanding amongst you? In chapter 1, James told them to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, in verse 13, he wants them to grow in a way where they show works in the meekness of wisdom. And as a way of further pushing this point, he displays two contrasting ways of conducting oneself with the wisdom from above 
And then a non-wisdom that is earthly and even demonic. But before we compare these two these things, the wisdom versus non-wisdom, it's important to see how verse 14 sits above as a key thing to have in mind. Verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. The thing I want you to notice is that James is talking about what is in the heart. If there is evil in your heart, do not try to pour out good as it is false. I think a helpful thing to have in view is uh, to illustrate or help us understand this passage is the way Jesus spoke about the teachers of his day. In Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples not to do the things that the scribes and Pharisees do, for they preach but do not practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And Jesus goes on to say how everything they do is about puffing themselves up making themselves feel good, to feel great and above others. Also in Matthew, Jesus asked them, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. I think what Jesus is saying and James after him is that if there is a corrupted inside, then what comes out will also be corrupted. And the tricky thing is when it comes to certain teachers or speakers of God's word, this can be quite deceptive. They might seem to speak good things, like taking uh, an apple that looks okay on the outside, but actually it's gone soft and rotten on the inside. There's only so long that apple can go on sitting in the fruit bowl before someone discovers it's rotten, and then it will be thrown out. And so says the Bible, there is only so long that speakers corrupted on the inside can go on before being thrown away. And what James is doing in this passage is calling time. Enough is enough. He is exposing them. And like a rotten apple, he holds it up and cuts it in half to expose the decay. He reveals, verse 14 to 17, that a person who lives a life with the wisdom from above, or a wisdom, the non-wisdom, the earthly and demonic, uh, there's one, one of two ways to live, either, either the wisdom from above or wisdom uh, from, from below. Now, the non-wisdom produces bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in the heart. It is, verse 15, not from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And where it exists, verse 16, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The wisdom from above, however, is, verse 17, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In other words, everything these people are not. As we saw last time, there is a danger of separating faith and works. We said how it's an ordinary problem that can lead us to wandering away from God's truth and leading only to spiritual decay. This week, we see the dangers of separating words and works. What is in 
Our hearts is displayed in our works. Our, our good words must be connected to our good works, born of a faith in our good God. James calls for God's implanted word to infiltrate every corner of our hearts, transforming our character, and then what will come pouring out of us are the words of heavenly wisdom that come from the Spirit of Christ within us. I often find a, a, lot, of peop, a lot of people shudder at the word evangelism. Sometimes I even hear ministers say, um, I know we don't enjoy evangelism, but you know, we must do it. And I say, let's completely move away from thinking it's a burden. Let's rejoice that we have this powerful gift of speaking truth to people without any guilt or pressure, and let's use it with great gentleness, peacefulness, and more than anything, with great mercy. Let us, by faith, with words and works, simply live unapologetically and joyfully with Jesus. Let's speak and show people Jesus by our words and works, guided by the heavenly wisdom that God has provided. And these words, they can feel terrifying to use, but they don't need to be so complicated. If someone asks for directions when you're in the street, you don't need to say, well, Jesus died for you, so if you don't take his directions, you'll end up in hell. Often it's as simple as asking, do you go to church? Um, I spend most of my life nowadays uh, trying to understand theology that's beyond me, but it's never any clever thing that I communicate to people in evangelism. I just ask that, that simple question most of the time, do you go to church? Last week, uh, we went to Greyfriars Kirk, I think it's called, the church where J.K. Rowling supposedly was inspired. Um, and there was a woman uh, behind the desk who was giving us tour, a tour and directions. Uh, she was talking loads of stuff about the history of the church, the building. Um, and I said, do you go to church here? Uh, and she was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just here for the history. And that was it. That's not, that's not a very exciting conversation. You know, sometimes you ask that question and people open up, and, but nothing happened. She just said no and felt quite, you know, I don't want to go into that. But the thing is, it might be a little seed in her heart. Maybe other kingdom workers who attend that church or, or visit that place will ask her questions as well. Maybe a, a seed will start to grow into a shoot and other kingdom workers will start to uh, tend to that little shoot and water it. And maybe one day, after my simple little question, um, I'll meet her as a fully grown, mature Christian at that glorious harvest. Words are, according to James, our most inexhaustible source of sowing a harvest of righteousness but they are capable of both inflicting injury as well as remedying it. The words that God's Holy Spirit speaks through us are the greatest tool we have for working by faith and working by wisdom in God's kingdom. Let us be excited, motivated, and eager to be speakers of God's truth. But let us also communicate 
by our good conduct in the meekness of wisdom from above. Let us work for the harvest of righteousness by wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we gather before you, united in Christ. We pray that you would unite our faith and our works, our words and our works. Help us to lead a life that is single-minded, obsessively fixated on your glory, speaking your truth. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to be kingdom workers today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.